Hi, everybody, and welcome to the weekly message from the table. We are a church in Davenport, Iowa, where people are moving from greed toward generosity, from violence toward peacemaking, from isolation toward neighborliness, and from fear toward faith. I am Pastor Rob Leverage. It is good to be with you on this beautiful, beautiful day. And our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Luke. It is a miracle story uh, known as the healing of the centurion's servant. Let's open our hearts and give a good listen. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a servant whom he highly valued, who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you. But only speak the word, and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes. And to another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, Do this, and the servant does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turned to the crowd that followed him. And he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now that's quite a thing that Jesus says there at the end, right? That he has never seen such faith, not even in Israel. He said that about the centurion who asked him to heal his servant. And I, I'm interested in this because by this point in the gospel narrative, a lot of people have come to Jesus and asked him for healing, healing for themselves, healing for somebody that they care about. And every one of those people must have been acting on faith, right? I mean, we certainly see in the text that their faith matters to Jesus, right? There are several episodes in the Gospels wherein people's faith and the way they express their faith really affects Jesus, and he speaks to it. For instance, there's a woman who has struggled with bleeding for years and years, and she seeks out Jesus to touch him in a crowd, and Jesus says to her, your faith has made you well. There's another time when Jesus heals a group of 10 people who have a skin disease, and he heals them actually from a distance. Nine of them then run off cheering and celebrating, but one of them comes back to Jesus to thank him, and Jesus says to this person, your faith has healed you. There's another story in which a group of people brings their friend who is paralyzed to Jesus, but they can't get into the house where Jesus is teaching because it's too crowded. So they climb up on top of the house and they lower their friend down through a hole in the roof. And the Bible says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the friend, your sins are forgiven. 
and he healed him. So people come to Jesus in faith, right? And he sees how sincere and powerful their faith is. So what is it (laughs) about the centurion's faith that leads Jesus to say that he has never seen faith like this? Hmm. Okay. Well, let's get into the story. Let's look at things step by step. Okay. This episode appears um, in the Gospel of Luke, which we read. It also appears in the Gospel of Matthew. It is set, this, this part of the story is set in the city of Capernaum on the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. And this is a, a, an area and a town where a lot of important Jesus stories take place. Jesus is beseeched for help by a centurion whose servant is ill and dying. And the centurion cares a lot about this servant. We don't exactly know what the backstory is with this person, but the centurion is desperate for Jesus' help. Okay. Now, what is a centurion? A centurion was a Roman military leader. He commanded a unit of soldiers called a century, which I always assumed was a hundred soldiers, but having looked it up this week, uh, actually, apparently, it's about 80 soldiers. Um, Don't exactly know (laughs) at what point a century came to refer to a hundred of something, but anyway, uh, he was a commander of about 80 people, or if he was a high-ranking centurion, he might command other centurions and command then, in effect, multiple centuries. But this character of the centurion is actually a reminder to all of us as we read the Bible. It's a reminder that the whole Jesus story, okay, the entire gospel narrative arc takes place in the context of imperial domination. Yes, Jesus's homeland was conquered and occupied by armies and subjugated as part of the Roman Empire. We should always, we should try not to forget that, um, that there was actually a military presence in the places where Jesus traveled and ministered, a foreign military presence, okay? Soldiers, Roman soldiers are not mentioned per se in very many places in the gospel stories, right? But we know that all of these stories, all the miracle stories, all the teachings, they, you know, they all took place in Jesus' homeland in a countryside that was under military occupation. And we know that the Romans used violence and the threat of violence to impose order and to extract resources from communities in the form of taxes. Rebellions against Roman rule happened periodically and they were always crushed mercilessly. It's important for us to remember that when Jesus himself died, he was killed by the Romans. He was crucified, which was a Roman thing. Crucifixion was a thing that the Romans did. Jews did not crucify people. In fact, there is only one other time when a 
centurion appears in the gospel besides today's story, and that is actually at Jesus' crucifixion when there is a centurion who is near the cross and he watches Jesus die and says, surely this is God's son. Okay. The presence of Romans in Israel during Jesus' ministry is, of course, relevant to current events in the country of Ukraine in our time. Vladimir Putin wants to be like Caesar. Yes, he does. He commands a fearsome fighting force, and he has now invaded a neighboring country with ferocious violence. His plan is to conquer the cities and the people of Ukraine and to use that nation's resources for his benefit, okay? Just like Caesar and just like the Romans. The Ukrainian people right now are fighting fiercely against these invaders and their hatred for Putin and the Russian military grows every day. Okay, well, if we can imagine how Ukrainians feel about the Roman military in their country, or about the Russian military in their country, then we can imagine how ordinary Jewish people in Galilee would have felt about a centurion in their town in Jesus' day. You see, he would have been hated and feared, right? He would have been associated with all of the violence that had been brought to bear on towns and communities throughout Galilee. And many people amongst Jesus's followers would have the, either themselves experienced violence at the hands of Roman forces, or they would have friends and a family, extended networks of communities in places where Romans had perpetrated great acts of extreme violence. And this is simply a fact. Okay, so the, the centurion would have been seen as an enemy and as an oppressor amongst the people in this episode. Now, so with that in mind, it's more and more compelling to consider that it's this person who Jesus says has a faith like he has never seen before. I mean, this guy? Really? I mean... What's going on with that? Um, now, I mentioned that this story appears in both the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke. One interesting difference between the two versions of this story is that in the Gospel of Matthew, the centurion comes up to Jesus on the road in person and asks for his help. But if you recall from the, the, the reading in Luke, the centurion, he actually sends people on his behalf. To speak to Jesus. And in fact, in Luke, we never see the centurion. Um, he, we, he doesn't actually appear in the story. We only hear about his request made by other people. Okay? And we can tell in the, the Gospel of Luke, in the way that this story is written, that Roman soldiers were indeed despised because the centurion sends a group of Jewish elders to bring his request to Jesus. See, their job, and it's very important that it's, that's, it's the Jewish community leaders who are sent because they have to make a case 
for the centurion to, in effect, sort of convince Jesus that he should help the centurion, assuming, they they were assuming, that Jesus' natural inclination or any self-respecting Galilean's natural inclination would be to not help a centurion because centurions are the enemy, right? But the elders, they come to Jesus and they say to him, essentially, um, hey, we know that you hate centurions. You probably hate them. You know, we hate most centurions ourselves, of course, but we just want you to know that this centurion is a good person. He's one, of, he's one of the good ones, okay? One of the very few good ones. He's righteous. He actually loves our people. He's not like the other centurions, we swear. He is worthy of help. In fact, <laughs> he actually gave us money to build our synagogue, you know, <laughs> which always helps. So we vouch for this person. Okay? That is their job as they come and they bring this request to Jesus. And Jesus goes with them. He goes with them to help. Okay? Now, did he go because the elders persuaded him? Personally, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think that Jesus healed people because he cared about, him, cared about them. I don't think he was waiting for somebody to give him a really good reason before he would be willing to heal this person or that person, no matter what the circumstances. And certainly in this circumstance, the servant who was ill, the servant's life mattered more to Jesus than the centurion's righteousness or unrighteousness. Um, but regardless of that, it's clear that the elders expected that Jesus would not want to help in this situation, and so they thought they needed to persuade him. But anyway, Jesus goes with them, and be, they're on their way to the house, but before they get to the house, actually they're pretty close to the house, another group of messengers meets them on the road and intercepts them, bringing a second message from the centurion. And this, this word that they bring is, please don't come. Okay? The centurion says, I'm not worthy to have you enter my house. In fact, I'm not worthy to even come and speak to you in person. Like, that's the way the story is written in this version. And so the centurion was basically hoping that Jesus would have just, like, healed his servant from afar at whatever point he was doing his other Jesus business. And so the centurion is saying, don't come to my house. I'm not worthy to receive you. Just say the word, and I know that my servant will be healed. And it's on the basis of that that Jesus says he's never seen faith like this before. And then the centurion says one more thing, which is absolutely crucial um, to the meaning of this whole story. The centurion says to Jesus, I understand authority. Yeah. I have authority. I have people around me who do whatever I tell them to do. They come and go as I please. Yeah. 
That's what he says to Jesus. And for years, whenever I read this story, I, I, I actually thought that, that the centurion was bragging in this part, um, you know, telling Jesus Christ how important and powerful he was. But at some point, I realized that, that could not possibly be what's going on here. I mean, Actually, if expressing his power to Jesus was the centurion's goal, he did not need to explain it. He could have sent his soldiers to Jesus. Um, we can imagine that, right? A military commander hears about a miracle worker traveling from town to town, and since his prized servant is gravely ill, he sends a detachment brandishing swords and, sh and shields, and they, they go and arrest the miracle worker, bring him in, and procure a healing at the point of a spear. Yeah, Sure, we can imagine that. After all, what is the point of having soldiers if you're not going to use them to get the things that you want, right? The centurion does not do that. Quite the contrary, he puts the tools of his domination aside. And he actually relies on the good graces of the people that he is tasked with subjugating. He relies on the Jewish elders to bring his petition to Jesus for him. When he tells Jesus not to enter his home, he is in effect saying, all of my power, all of my authority is nothing compared to you. With all my wealth and all my position and my armament, I'm still unworthy. I see in you, Jesus, an authority that I have never possessed. He said this to Jesus of Nazareth, right? the itinerant preacher who had no money, no swords, no armies, didn't even know if he had a bed to sleep in on any given night. Okay? The centurion who asked Jesus for help was an extremely powerful person who recognized that his power, despite the fear that it bred in the people around him, was not a proof of greatness. He perceived that greatness is in those who serve and heal, which is what he saw in Jesus. And so... From his position of power and authority, he chose to humble himself. Okay? This is something that Jesus urges his followers to do all throughout his ministry, such as when he brought a small child to the front of a crowd of adults and he said, you must become like this small child to enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who humble themselves like this child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is something that Jesus himself demonstrated when on the night when he was betrayed, he knelt with a basin of water and he washed his disciples' feet. Jesus urges us to humble ourselves, to let the last be first, to serve and to care for the least among us. And it is hard for us to do this, truly. It is hard for us to relinquish 
whatever power or privilege or status or wealth we may have, whether we're low down or high up in the social or economic strata. We don't want anyone who is beneath us to be elevated. We don't want ourselves to be diminished, whatever our status might be. When I played Little League, (laughs) I was the second worst hitter on my team. And I thanked God... (laughs) for that other kid. Because of him, I knew that I was better than at least somebody. And Jesus wants me to throw that kind of thinking away. Mm -hmm. The centurion humbled himself in reverence for Jesus and in his compassion for his servant, he laid down his power, his authority, and any thoughts that he was tempted to have about his own greatness. He laid these things down so that somebody else could be raised. And Jesus said that he had never before found somebody with faith like that. If the centurion was the first, he need not be the last. You and I can have faith like that too. Amen.